0: Hey, Forge family, I have prayed often for you in this season of plague for your safety and health and for divine appointments, even the virtual ones, in which you get to shine in dark places. This podcast, we will complete our time in 1 Thessalonians for now. If you recall, Paul wrote to those new ecclesias to assure them that they were not destined for the wrath of God. The date and timing of the day of the Lord is held by Father God, and only he knows those particulars and how they fit with human history. Yes, that day of his wrath against those who hate and reject him and his people Israel is coming. No, the brothers and sisters will not be on the earth or under the earth When that day comes. But it will come on those who believe that life is in their control. Who Paul wrote that they will be saying peace and safety. Its suddenness will come like a violent home invasion robbery. On those whose lifestyle and culture is one of laid back self-assured darkness. Such were not the brethren in Thessalonica. But Paul continued to urge them to be alert, focused, looking for the Lord's return for them as they practiced agape love for one another and all the other believers in Macedonia. Just as Paul would urge the house churches in Ephesus to get below the radar when Nero's legions had been dispatched there to bust house churches, So, too, Paul was urging the Thessalonians to live a quiet life. Don't meddle in other people's lives. And be at work to support yourselves. Don't draw persecution to yourselves. Let's pray. God who loves us, those who have been washed in the blood of his Son, Jesus, the risen Christ, we thank you, we honor you, we call you Father. Thank you for your promises that we are not destined for wrath, but for your presence. Now, Lord, turn our hearts to the lost and equip us to be your kingdom servants who will see the ignorant, the sleepy, and the inebriated, and the ones who are under control of darkness, as they are drawn to the light, drawn to the Savior, drawn to repentance, drawn to salvation. The words of the boy, Samuel, are in us. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus' name. So get out your First Thessalonian texts and open to chapter 5. And we will begin in chapters 12... Uh, Chapter 5, but in verses 12 to 15, Paul, through the rest of the chapter, is putting direct emphasis on how the brothers and sisters in the ecclesias were to relate to the leaders, to each other, and to those outside the church. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. It is part of the joy and part of the curiosity that surrounds how Paul, Silas, and Timothy identified those new converts who would swiftly become ecclesia leadership. After all, they'd had just three weeks together. Words of knowledge, prophetic insight, walking in the pattern of Jesus who prayed all night to hear from the Father, whom he should call, to walk as one of his 12 disciples. Those would all be possible approaches to selecting out leadership. Now soon we will get to see the missions team, how they chose leaders and laid hands on them in such a short amount of time. Perhaps sooner we will be placed in revival and awakening circumstances where we too will be calling on heaven for guidance in leadership selection and equipping. Paul wrote to the brothers and sisters in verse 12 that they were to get to know, to recognize, to respect, and to appreciate those brothers and sisters who lead amongst them. He used the word adeni and then gave the brothers and sisters clear ways to identify those who are presently leading and those who are rising to lead in the the churches. Those were the ones who diligently who were diligently laboring among them. Those were the ones who were set in charge over them. And thirdly, those who were the ones who instruct and admonish them. Now, these leaders would be a mix of, of pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and even apostles. It needed to be a mix because some of that leadership is tender, comforting. Some are more direct. Some bring scripture out into the open. Some have a word from the Lord for the ecclesias and or for the individuals. It is evident that the three partic- participles uh, that are used here by Paul, that the leadership and the ecclesias were patterning themselves after the mission team, who first labored over them even when They were weary. Second, literally, these leaders were the ones who stood up in front of the churches. And they were exercising the spiritual gift of leadership that Paul would write of in Romans 12. And who would manage their own families well, as Paul would describe in 1 Timothy 3. And who would direct the affairs of the ecclesias with grace and skill, that Paul would write of in 1 Timothy 5. Now, the third. okay, The leadership of the ecclesia were those gifted to speak sense into those brothers or sisters who, in anger, confusion, or temptation, would be drawn to wrong thoughts, feelings, and actions. This latter qualification were of leaders who were to be firm, direct, gentle, fatherly, and who expected the listeners to make the right choices. Whether each house church had such a leader or leaders, or whether there was a collection of leaders who rose in Thessalonica to take up the mantle of leadership over all of the house churches, we don't know from Scripture. But we do know that Paul is urging and requesting honor to be given to those who were leading as he has described. Verse 13 continues with a further word, quote, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, unquote. This urge to respect, value, and honor leaders in the ecclesias was lifted by Paul with an adverb, super or unreservedly esteem them in agape love. Then Paul wrote, live in peace with one another. Now some of the members of the Ecclesias came to those fellowships with pet behaviors. Some of which would become disruptive. It is likely that their behaviors were not intentional, just not yet under the order brought by Holy Spirit in their midst. Thus creating abrasions and misunderstandings. Part of those abrasions appear in the text of Second the second book of Thessalonians. Now, not all new believers were up for coming under authority, leadership, and correction. I believe this was a word from Paul for the more mature, to intentionally give space for the spirit to transform new believers into good citizens in the kingdom of God. Endure the abrasions, being quick to forgive, and live at peace, For this season. Next. The instructions from Paul would indicate that these leadership responsibilities also flowed over into the brothers and sisters. The latter did not have to stand around and wait for a leader to lead. They were included in these instructions. Verses 14 and 15 say, And we urge you, brethren, Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all the men. See that no one repays one another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. I think this is where leaders-to-be cut their teeth in the gatherings. You do not have to be a recognized leader to speak sense and instruction to the ones who are out of control unruly or disruptive. I think the chain of responsibility for care of those difficult ones starts with their peers, as it were. I recall a high school student named Eddie who would come Sunday night to the body-life service during the Jesus movement in the early 1970s. Eddie's family had immigrated from China, and he was short of friends. His personality was one who would act out just to get attention. I remember him running over the tops of the pews in the church after the service. That got him attention. But it was his peers who first spoke sense to him about being appropriate. No, that was not a, quote, sanctuary, unquote. A holy room in which only holy people could meet. Week after week, newborn believers flooded in with some of their old ways. I only saw Eddie run the pews one more time, and then he grew beyond that. In that same Jesus movement meeting, there were also those who were disruptive. Okay, they would come on Sunday nights, Okay, and if they raised their voices or they caused a fuss, they were quietly removed from the worship or the teaching setting and allowed to voice their shtick outside, before sending them on their way for the evening. If they listened and then apologized, they were welcome back into the meeting. If the disruption was one of a magnitude, the leaders would move to it with easy grace. And the disruptions were almost always a one-off. It is that easy grace that has served us at Forge when there have been disruptions and disruptors. In the past I've had previous previous, some brief experiences with disruptive ones who sought to lay down new guidelines for leaders that were contrary to those that were being practiced. That also included in that specific incident uh, the problem of those folks who were proposing those new guidelines. They didn't want to work. They would rather sponge off the body, have other people support them. that resulted in church discipline. That was a hard one. In 51 years of ministry, only once did I have to acknowledge that it was time for a disruptive brother and his wife to move on, to leave church and find another place to worship. Paul wrote that we leaders and we brothers and sisters are to encourage the faint-hearted, Now, that latter word literally means small-souled. These would be folks who are easily discouraged, easily ready to give up, often found in defeat mode. Nowhere does Paul say, suck it up, buttercup, or even hang in there. Some new brothers and sisters, they bring broken stuff with them when they come into the fellowships like bitter root expectations in which they expect the world to fall on them and their personal expectation is that they're going to fail. That is not who they really are in the kingdom of God. But they need gentle teaching, counsel, reproof, inner healing, and encouragement toward transformation. Paul said to help the weak. To stay within the context, these weak ones would be those who perhaps, by reason of a physical weakness or emotional weakness, have arrived at the point of spiritual instability. That can manifest in two extremes. First, it might be that such a weak one in the body of believers strives to live above their spiritual understanding and maturity. They blow smoke. They pose, they want attention. At its root, it is a weakness of knowing who they, it is a weakness of knowing who they really are in Christ. That hadn't happened for them quite yet. In Ethiopia, on an international team under a healing evangelist, the team had a, a member who had come from Cleveland who spoke too often who commanded too often, who declared and decreed beyond her gifting and maturity level. When she was not listened to, she raised the volume. I finally sat next to her in the back of the bus to suggest to her that what she really longed for was not the attention of the team members, but rather the intimacy with the Lord. All the other stuff was disruptive and came out of a sense of weakness and overcompensation. She blinked. She was not a happy camper, but the volume got turned way down. The second possibility is that that weak one is spiritually weak to the point of vulnerability to temptation, moral failure, and being deluded by darkness. More than one of the homeless, and almost homeless, who used to come to our 5.30 suppers on Sunday night at Forge, would fall into that category of the weak. Janice has graciously extended herself to those folks, as have some of you Forges, but some of our guests chose to remain weak. The last instruction in verse 14 is for the brethren and the leaders in the ecclesias to be patient with all men. That is a spiritual response from a place of personal peace. See, that has to be practiced so that you're able in the instant to respond with patience. Paul wrote later in 2 Thessalonians and in 2 Timothy that leaders and the churches were to be patient even with flagrant disruptors. as Paul closes this epistle to the Ecclesias in Thessalonica, he has six pithy commands spread over seven verses. Again, the verses and punctuation were added by Bible, editors and scholars, and they're not in the ancient texts of First Thessalonians. Likely, then, this is one long sentence. Verses 14, excuse me, 15 to 22 goes like this. This is how it sounds. See that no one repays another with evil for evil and always seek after that which is good for another and for all men. Rejoice always. Pray without seasoning. In everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances but examine everything carefully Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Within this run of commands, there are several that are often lifted out of context and used by brothers and sisters mostly, okay, for correction or exhortation without a pastoral fatherly voice or the voice of an apostle. Sometimes these little verses are delivered with the force of a club or brass knuckles. So to set these in context, the spiritual father of the Thessalonian believers wrote to remind, to refresh, to redirect all disagreements back into the word for solutions. When the issue of revenge rises, there's a biblical standard set out in chapter 4, For them to apply with grace. This is where you learn how to come in the opposite spirit. Further, Paul says to pursue, to keep running after what is good. To work out problems and threats. Begin first with the phrase, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. When that is solid within you, then move on to giving thanks for everything. Even the stuff you don't want to have anything to do with. That you want it to go away. That hurts or threatens you. For in the giving of thanks to God is to acknowledge that he is in charge and he will redeem. He has not abandoned you. He's right there with you. Mind you, we do not say thanks for the works of the enemy. Oh, God, thank you for this cancer. No. We give thanks to God who's going to do something with it. We identify what the enemy has done, and we ask the Father to remove it. The ecclesias, hmm, they had a kerfuffle going in which prophetic utterances was being too, they were being too tightly curbed. The word here for prophetic utterance is one that speaks of forth telling, Not for telling. Paul just says, do not quench the spirit. In 1927, a revival broke out in the Baptist Missions Ministry in Shantung, China. It had all the manifestations listed under spiritual gifts, and then some further seemingly crazy stuff that we've seen around the world in revivals in this past 25 years. Those who responded, The Holy Spirit in China were filled with joy, and there were hundreds of thousands of them. The revival ran for 10 years, even though the Baptists had disavowed it and had distanced themselves from it. They set about quenching the Holy Spirit. I recall serving under a board of elders that were fearful of charismatic expressions, fearful of divisive Holy Spirit manifestations, At least they feared them as potentially divisive. I was leading a worship service on Sunday nights and word was passed down to me and to the worship leader that no one was to raise their hands in worship on the platform. Well, that quenched the spirit. That flattened some of our joy and expressions in song. So when you have Father, Son, and Holy Book as a trinity... There's no recourse in seeking Holy Spirit for what would make him smile. In contrast to verses 15 to 20 where Paul wrote commands, in verse 21, Paul puts the burden on the leadership to examine, to test, to assay, so as to prove what is good. Then grip it and hold it fast. His last word, directed to leaders, is for them to abstain from, avoid, stay away from in all forms of evil. And here the word evil appears without a definite article. So it is evil in its broadest strokes. Don't dally with it. Don't expose yourself to it. Resolutely step back, recognizing that even the spiritual gifts, even the spiritual gifts, can have evil motives hiding behind displays of Holy Spirit power. See, that brings us back to that dual streaming stuff where you have an individual who desires to display God's power at the same time that they're living a secret life. Paul says, don't have anything to do with that. In his closing words, Paul wrote to the Ecclesias that his desire was for the God of peace to sanctify them Entirely. Verse 23 recalls the name of God, Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace, the God from whom peace flows. This name appears in in Judges chapter 6, out of the mouth of Gideon, who after building an altar and offering, setting up a sacrifice, the angel of the Lord stretched his, his staff out and touched the sacrifice and fire consumed it completely. Gideon named that place God of peace. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5:23, Paul requests that the Lord set apart and make holy the believers in the city. We know that process of complete holiness will finish when we are with him. But on the way, we've been assigned to cooperate with Holy Spirit to see us substantially transformed from darkness to light. Paul continues to ask of the Lord That the Thessalonians be preserved, kept safe in all matters of spirit, soul, and body, coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus without any blame, hitchhiking with them. Verse twenty four says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. It was not a it wasn't chance. It wasn't a oops, wow, how lucky. No, it was was Paul, Silas, and Timothy who arrived in Thessalonica preaching the risen Christ in the homes and synagogues of Thessalonica. And they were there to find out those who were being called out of darkness into the presence of the Father. Having called men and women into the ecclesias, he will also come and bring to pass what he has promised to them. Verse 25 has Paul asking for prayer from the believers for him and the missions team? He's laid out a template of care and concern. Now Paul says, Pray for us too. Verse 26 says, Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I've been kissed in Jordan, in Austria, in Switzerland, in Sicily, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Austria. Australia, in the Philippines, in Argentina, in Ethiopia, in Uganda, and in Mozambique. But not, not so much in North America. Wherever the name of Jesus is lifted high, both men and women reach, greet one another with a holy kiss. This was a practice that continues into the 21st century. And honestly, that's amazing because in two, by 250 AD, 250 years, After Jesus was born, it had been quietly suppressed in the churches out of fear of inappropriate kissing. Men were sent to the left of the congregations and the women sent to the right and the holy kiss ceased. Now, it reappears in some liturgies in high churches, but the joy-filled greetings from brothers and sisters in the Lord still survive. Verse 27 has Paul putting the Thessalonians under an oath an obligation, as it were, to make sure that this letter is read to all of the houses, and house churches and their members in that this obligation follows Paul's word about holy kiss. I believe he wants them all greeted and kissed by means of his epistle. In verse 28, Paul is clo- has a closing blessing. In his day, it was very common for men to finish their letters, their epistles, with the phrases, courage, be strong. And here, Paul uses the word grace. It is a word redolent of the agape love of God pouring out on an un, unearned favor on those who don't deserve it. The Thessalonians were awash in grace, but gladly would... Receive more from Jesus, of whom Paul wrote. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It is the Lord Jesus who gives that peace and gives that grace. Ford's family, in each chapter of First Thessalonians, Paul wrote of a different variation regarding the coming of the Lord. Let me suggest a reread of this short book with the view of looking for, to find the gem in each chapter that speaks of the Lord's return. All adults in Forge lead in some fashion. Tune in your hearts to Paul's leadership training and drink deep. As mentioned in previous podcasts, Forge has a unified heart for raising up our next generations of youth to be leaders in the churches. From an early age, we need to model and teach our children the elements of a walk with Jesus as future leaders. Paul's examples of how leaders are to display their faith and faithfulness should be walked out by you parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Last note how rapidly some of the new believers in Thessalonica rose to leadership. We want to foster that. Leave that door open for rising generations to exhibit the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of Holy Spirit in our midst. They do not get a junior trinity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, who raises up leaders in your bride, in the church, We would receive from this text the outpouring of grace in our lives, on our dreams, on our families, on our gifting as we get ready for the now and for the next. We would be those who honor those of us who speak and those of us who serve. We stand ready to be launched by Holy Spirit to a deeper walk with you, Lord, and more impact on our families, neighbors, co-workers and of those who represent us locally, statewide, and nationally, the Forge Ecclesia would be prepared to speak and act with authority from your throne. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name, Amen. Forge I love you. We'll see you on the virtual, virtual screen on Sunday. God bless you.